Good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the extra hour in bed this morning. If indeed you did get it in bed, if you had children, I hope you enjoyed the extra hour up. (laughs) You're not too tired now. Um, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Steve, Steve Jones. I lead the church here, and I'm continuing the series this morning, the teaching series that we are doing Sunday by Sunday, is all about encountering God uh, throughout this autumn. And specifically, we're looking at stories in the Old Testament where people have encountered God and learning what we can from them. This morning, oh, I've not got the clicker, Alison, so I can't click. So I don't mind how that's solved. Either give me a clicker or click for me. But um, we're going to get in due course to this, uh, Joshua chapter 5, an encounter that Joshua has with the commander. Before we get there, I just need to mention a couple of things that I think God is saying specifically for this morning that have come out as different ones of us have been praying. Thank you, Alison. That's marvelous. Um, As some of us were praying before the meeting, uh, as we do every week, you're always welcome to join us, by the way, in the room by the front of the car park there, the Charwell room. Uh, It's really key in determining what goes on through the morning. It's not a sort of random, dutiful, religious thing, but a wellspring of spiritual life. And one of the, Lindy was praying this morning, had a vision of somebody who was walking round and round in circles, and so much so that they'd worn not only a path, but a trench, and could only see the soil on either side. And there's a need for a rescue from God. Just as we were worshipping, I was reminded of something I did when I was a student, I was a student at Wadham College, and one new year was staying in college, and uh, rather cheekily with some friends, we first-footed the warden of the college. I don't know if you're familiar with first-footing. The idea is that you're the first, it's a long-standing new year tradition in which you are the first person to knock on someone's door, and you're supposed to bring, as a sign of your generosity, food, fuel, and drink. And all we could find was an old melon, a dead Christmas tree, and some very cheap red plonk. (laughs) But we knocked on his door anyway, and we had a lovely... He opened up, he and his wife, they were there by themselves, we were there into the early hours. uh, Anyway, that's the context in which he taught me this little thing. There was a big pile of walnuts, and until that point in my life, I'd always thought that you needed a nutcracker to break open walnuts. And I just sat and watched him in some amazement. Uh, clearly a very cultured man, and knowing how to just, just grab a couple of wallets in his hand and crack them open. And I was astonished. And I rather awkwardly asked him to please indo- you know, instruct me in this wonderful knowledge of how such a thing could be done. And uh, anyway, w- what I felt reminded of this morning was, I guess it, it chimed with what God was saying to Lindy in our prayer meeting before we started, that there are things that you think are too hard to break, but they're not. It's actually really simple. And God has the know-how. He always has done. And so I am expectant this morning, arising out of that vision and those prayers and things that God has been just reminding me of, that there'll be some breakthrough. I'm sure that in the worship that we've had already, there's been some of that, but there's more. So can I pause and pray that all that God wants to lift us out of And all that he wants to crack open, which is so easy for him, that he would do it. Father God, we really 
thank you that you're here and you're active, that this whole event is not just a pattern of remembering something you once did, but it's an opportunity for us to meet you, just as Joshua once met with you and many other men and women have met with you again and again through the years and you unfailingly do good to the people that meet with you. Lord, we seek that encounter with you. We pray especially for those who feel just stuck in a rut, perhaps some addiction that it seems impossible to escape. We ask for breakthrough this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are looking at Joshua. Now, by the time we get to the book of Joshua, there's actually a fair bit of his life that has already taken place and is recorded in the earlier books of the Old Testament. What we read from Joshua's earlier life was that as a young man, he'd been a secret agent and stood out amongst all of the secret agents operating for Israel at that time as almost uniquely positive and spiritual. He was a good guy, and he had become the personal assistant to the leader of the nation. So he had a pretty good life, and one that was to his credit. And in Exodus chapter 33, and starting from verse 7, uh, it, we can read that Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, which was a sign of God's presence, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So Joshua was a friend of God. There we are, Facebook, friends, We might talk about Facebook a little bit more this morning. It's where we tend to think of friendship, but here is a different context for friendship. Joshua shared in Moses' close relationship with God. And after Moses had died, God promised Joshua that he would remain with him, that the friendship would continue What's a friend? A friend is someone who likes you and who shows it by spending time with you, sharing things with you, uh, sharing their thoughts, sharing their experiences, giving you gifts from time to time. How amazing to be God's friend. How amazing is that? Um. A friendship with God more than makes up 
for any other lack in life. Whatever it may be, a friendship with God changes everything. Everything is different. For me, the story of my life was that I grew up uh, as a high achiever, but naturally somewhat emotionally distant, finding pleasure in being the best. And it was quite a good feeling. And uh, some of you know that. Others of you, there are other things that um, would characterize your story. But my story has been that the love of God, an encounter with the love of God is just far better than all of that success and achievement. Actually, all of the things that I could do and put on my CV and say, look at this and look at that, they, they don't hold a candle to the bright, shining sun of what it means to me to know that God is my friend. I can remember moments when his love was revealed to me. It, just a little bit more of it was revealed to me, and I was undone. And wondered how I could have lived up to that moment without knowing that little bit more. And I know that there's far more. So if you feel far from God, I've got some really good news for you. God wants to be your friend. I love a verse in, uh, again in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 14. The woman of Tekoa, not a very well-known Bible character, comes to David with words put in her mouth by a military commander. But she says this, which is true. God devises ways so that a banished person does not remain estranged from him. That's what God's like. God devises ways that people who are far away can come close to him because he desires friendship with us. He desires friendship with you. He wants to spend time in your presence. He wants to share his thoughts with you. He wants to share what matters with you. And it's really, really simple. We don't have to jump through lots of hoops. We don't have to be clever. Actually, being clever is often quite unhelpful. We don't have to achieve anything in order to enjoy that friendship with God. The Bible tells us that it comes about simply by trusting him. In James chapter 2, verse 23, it describes how Abraham is really the prototype of how this works for us. He is the example of how it works. And it says he trusted God and God responded by accepting him as his friend. It's really simple. If I could make it even simpler, the good news is that if you want a friendship with God, all you have to do is say yes. It's amazing how slow we can be to say yes, please. What kinds of other things get in the way? But God has done everything that's needed. I could explain how Jesus' death on the cross is the centerpiece of history. 
I could explain how he sends his Holy Spirit amongst us to reveal things to us, to work in our lives. I could spend the rest of the morning explaining it theologically, but it won't change the fact that all you have to do is say, yes, yes, please. I hear your offer of friendship, God, and I'd like it. So that just takes me to my first of three questions this morning, acknowledging that Joshua came into this encounter already as God's friend. My first question this morning is, so how about you? Do you want to be like Joshua was, God's friend? Do you want to be God's friend? If you do, then you can be. And that's the good news of Christianity as a whole right there in a few words. But let's come to the encounter itself. It's recorded in Joshua chapter 5. And it's just a few verses. It's probably one of the shortest passages I've ever had to preach on. And uh, well, this encounter was the moment when Joshua was taken beyond being a friend of God, that is, someone who knew God, and when he became a follower, it was, like a, it was like a Facebook to Twitter moment, if you're with me. There's a generation of people who are getting that and another bunch of people going, whatever. So there we are. He went from being a friend to being a follower who knew God, but also let him take the steering wheel of his life. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, which was a heavily fortified city that was going to be a harder task than anything Joshua had ever come across before. It's one thing to have a battle in an open plain, which is what Joshua had been involved with already, but a heavily fortified city was another thing altogether. That's what he was facing He was near Jericho when he looked up and saw a man. This man was standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. As commander, as commander of the army of the Lord... I've now come. Joshua fell face down, fell to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are, where you're standing is holy. And that's what Joshua did. Now, before going any further and exploring this shift from friend to follower, uh, I need to say, be honest about the fact there is a debate about who this was. Some people would argue that this was an angel, and others would say that it was God himself. Actually, that debate cannot be resolved from these few verses alone. The words that are translated as commander or lord uh, or the way in which 
Joshua fell down in reverence. All of those things are actually a bit ambiguous in what they mean. They could all refer to a person who is uh, just a superior human being and not necessarily God. Elsewhere, though, there are other stories of uh, people meeting an angel and encountering God in doing so. In some places, it seems like the person that is encountered is simply an angel. If you were to turn to Exodus chapters 32 and 33 and read through what goes on there, it talks of how God sends his angel when he himself is not coming. And so it seems that the angel is really different from God. But then there are other stories like in Exodus 23, where the angel comes and has God's character and authority in them, where it says actually God's name is in the angel, which is a strong statement of identity, and that angel has the authority to forgive sins, which is something that only God has the authority to do. So in this little debate that goes on, most scholars would hold back from picking either one option or the other and say that something else was going on here, that it was God revealing himself in the angel. A bit like him revealing himself in the burning bush. The bush was burning, not burning up, and Moses met God in that moment in what he saw. God was there. The burning bush wasn't God but God was in the bush. And then in the same way, here, at the point when Joshua encounters the angel, that God himself was in the angel. I think that there's something worth noting about this. It's not a mere academic point. Last week, when Steve Thomas was speaking about Moses' encounter at the burning bush, he rightly said, look, we all have Uh, encounters with God in different ways. For some people, it's visionary and dramatic and uh, emotional and in the moment. And other people, it actually is something that unfolds over time. And we don't need to feel under any pressure that my experience of God has to be patterned on someone else's. God is big enough to know how to meet us in the way that works for us, and he delights to do so. He devises ways of bringing people to himself. He devises ways of encountering us. And so there's diversity. The problem is that we can be left a little bit unsure. Have I met with God? Something happened, <laughs> but was it God? Have I met with God? And there's that, that doubt. What is, I hope, very encouraging in this story is that Joshua has an incredibly clear encounter he looks up, there's a man. Now, whether it's a vision or whether there's some, someone physically present, I don't know. But it was crystal clear in his experience. They have a conversation. He takes his shoes off. He falls down. It's a clear experience. And yet, in the way that it's written, it's not crystal clear that it was God. And what it teaches us is that we won't gain more confidence just from having a more dramatic encounter. 
It's not the pursuit of something, uh, some strong visual experience, some strong feeling, whether some physical sensation. I don't know what you've heard of other people's encounters with God. I want to tell you that the drama alone of something of that kind is not enough to leave you convinced that it's God himself. There's something else that goes on. The reason that we know it really was God that met with Joshua is because of what unfolded in the chapters that followed. They went to Jericho, this impossible, really impossible military target, wandered round it, blew some trumpets, the walls fell down. It seems that Joshua had encountered God. And it went on, chapter after chapter after chapter, that God, who'd promised to be with Joshua, proved himself in the nitty-gritty of life. Uh, quite a while ago now, more than 250 years ago, this man, Jonathan Edwards, was living in a town, the town of Northampton in America. I don't know if it was called America then. Thank you. I was looking for... Yeah, thank you. I'm just checking. So my, my American history is pitiful. And uh, there was this incredible outpouring of spiritual experience in this town called Northampton. We could call it a, a great awakening or a revival. People, especially young people, were coming into a church service, listening to the preaching, and just falling about and shaking and just taken hold of by God and changed by it. People who were stubbornly opposed to anything to do with Jesus, were turned around. And it happened pretty much throughout the entire community. And this became known as a tremendous thing that had happened. And people said, well, hang on a minute, but it's very all well and good that it's that dramatic. But really, was God in it? And Jonathan Edwards, who was a very good theologian amongst other things, as well as the pastor in this town, wrote a little book, uh, which if you've got questions in this area, it would be worth you getting. It's out of copyright. You can find it online. It's called uh, The Distinguishing Marks of a Move of the Spirit of God. So they didn't worry about natty titles back in those days, did they? <laughs> the Distinguishing Marks of a Move of the Spirit of God. And what he basically said is that it only becomes clear from what happens next. So there are a whole number of things that we notice, but there are no indication whatsoever of whether God's in it. They just don't tell us anything about the origin of the experience. And said, the fact that it's really unusual, the fact that it affects your body, the fact that you have visions, it's irrelevant to whether or not it's God. What does tell us that it's God is, and these are some of the things that he listed, that the person affected leaves behind heretical thinking. That they become more consistent in prayer and in Bible reading. <laughs> that they become more loving. These are things that show that someone really has 
been with Jesus, met with God. And so, because of all that followed, we know for sure that God was with Joshua, and this was an encounter that he had, not just with some bloke or even some angel, but Joshua had an encounter with God himself. When he saw him, the question he asked was, friend or foe? Friend or foe? I've already said that Joshua was God's friend. So the anticipated answer here is, I'm your friend. It's Don't worry. It's okay. Friend or foe? I'm your friend. But actually, what the commander of the army of the Lord, the word in the Hebrew here is very simple. It's translated in the NIV as neither. In the Hebrew, it's a little bit clearer and stronger. He just says no. Like you're not even asking the right question. His answer was, I'm your leader. I'm not your friend, simply. I'm not your foe. I'm not just your friend. I'm your leader. I'm your Lord. So that makes you my follower. If you like, you can join in with what I'm doing. Unlike Twitter, where you can follow hundreds of people, pick up tidbits of their streams of consciousness, and decide what you like. With God, it's rather different. God says, you follow me, you follow me alone. Line up behind me. I come as commander. That's what it means to follow me. Which brings me to my second question, which is, so the first question was, do you want to be God's friend? The second question is, are you ready to be God's follower? It's a different question. And if you've been God's friend, uh, if he's not done it already, he will come and ask you this question. It's not just that he did it the once to Joshua, but everyone who is God's friend will have this encounter at some time where he says, no. It's time to start following. I love you. I like you. I like spending time with you. But you need to realize, I'm not just your mate. <laughs> I'm your Lord. Start following. And I wonder whether for some people, this morning might be that encounter for you. You've known God, you love God, but he's calling you further into what it means to truly respond to him as he is this point, I'm going to pause. Um, I, I understand that this matter of responding to God as follower, we can make a general statement, but our determination to follow God is proven in something specific. It's when he says, do this, that it becomes real. When he asks us to do something that's not actually our will, <laughs> something that we wouldn't have chosen. That's the point at which the reality of our choice becomes clear. And um, in my notes this morning, I put prophetic words, question mark, because I just thought that God might want to speak in 
at this point and say a few things that show that he's not only communicating in general to us, but wants to say some specific things to help us get out of the driving seat, get into the passenger seat and let him take charge. So, Helen, I don't know how well what I've just said fits with what you have, but let's, let's see what God has spoken to you. Have you got things from Graham as well? Yeah, Graham's Great. written a couple of things on this piece of paper. Is this on? It is now. Yeah. Um, just, um, we were thinking and we were singing earlier on about beyond all beyond all and then there were a list of kind of options and while we were singing that I kind of had this kind of picture of like this kind of application form type thing where you have like this drop down box with different options that you tick and I kind of saw all these words beyond all then I saw guilt fear hate and then I looked down at the bottom and I saw the word other (laughs) which is a great word to have on any list and I felt like God was saying, for, for some people here, it's in that other box. You think, well, I think my obstacle isn't on that list. Um, but God's saying, if it's in the other box, it's on his list. You know, anything that falls into the other category is God is able to deal with. Okay? And there's nothing that doesn't fall into the other category. Um, then there was a couple of things that Graham's written down here. I think he felt specifically that there was uh, a couple of things, fear of darkness that he's written down and fear, fear of failure. And then there's a healing thing that he's got here as well. Mm-hmm. And um, he was talking about that God wanted to touch someone who's got a pain at the back of their right shoulder around there. Okay, good. Well, um, as well as that, in our uh, prayer meeting before we came in here, which, as I said, you're welcome always to come to, um, Josh, you were praying about um, people being set free from things, uh, previous occult uh, involvements. And um, I didn't get the chance to say to you then, but actually as I was going to, uh, just before I was going to bed last night, I was praying about this morning and felt the same thing. I was reminded of a time when I was about, must have been about 12 or 13, um, and I was doing what kids did then before computer games were invented, and playing a board game, goodness me, called Dungeons and Dragons. And it was all about role-playing, being wizards and and killing people and things. And... um, And God spoke to me and said, stop. My mates didn't understand. They thought I was just gone weird. And, uh, but there was a, it was one of those early, in my life, one of those early moments when, when I had a, you've been my friend, will you follow me? Moments as the Holy Spirit spoke through my mum. Makes it harder, doesn't it, normally? Anyway, um, but the, the Holy Spirit spoke, and I knew I had a choice to follow or not. So I got rid of all the stuff. And um, there's something in that area. If you come this morning, whether you're still, there's still some addiction to something that you know is 
dark. Uh, or whether it's something that you've let go of, but it's still holding on to you. That is one of the trenches that God wants to lift people out of this morning. Now, we've looked at these few verses in Joshua chapter 5, and I'm not going to say anything more about them. But before we leave this subject of encounter with God this morning, I believe we need to take a few minutes to look beyond Joshua, because this event happened quite late in Joshua's life, and uh, it's the last major encounter with God that's recorded for us. So this is where Joshua got to in his life, this transition from friend to follower. But when Jesus came, he started here and then took it further. And since we gather as Christians with a New Testament as well as an old, I think it's important that we consider where else it is that Jesus took things. So when Jesus called his first disciples, he said to them, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus first became friends with people. Again and again, we read in the Gospels how he was a friend to people, a friend of sinners, a friend who was generous in what he gave of himself to others. He then invited those who were his friends to follow him, just as God had done to Joshua. But then he took things further. He began to teach them that God was not only their Lord, whom they should follow, but he was their father. And opened up a whole new realm. He created a new household of brothers and sisters that would not just provide friendship and guidance that could be followed, but a whole new identity. He was creating a new family. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46, it says that while Jesus was talking to a crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus went beyond simple following to create family. Following speaks to us of choices and actions and a pattern of life. Family speaks to us of identity. And the invitation to join Christ's family is an invitation to change our identity. It goes deeper. When Jesus invited Peter to follow him, Peter was a fisherman. And the call to follow fitted in with that profession. Come and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus invited Peter to come as he was and apply himself as he was to do what Jesus was doing. But see, there's something that we can miss here in our 21st century lives where 
our CVs fill up with transferable skills, and if we've, rem- we've worked in one workplace all our lives, it's incredibly unusual. In the ancient world, trade was done by families. Every family had a trade. Every family had a business with knowledge and tools passed on from father to son. So here's an interesting question. What was Jesus' family business? We've been invited into his family. There's a change of identity. What was the family business? Well, Joseph, the husband of Mary, Jesus' mother, well, he was a carpenter. Actually, uh, the word that's always been translated carpenter, is a, the word in Greek is tekton. It's a slightly broader word than that. It ranges in meaning from odd job man to builder to engineer. And would have involved a mixture of the skills that you might now associate with blacksmith, stonemason, woodworker. It was a broader thing. The person that you'd go to basically to get things fixed, whatever it might be. Jesus was a helper, practically. And so he knew that trade, having grown up in that household, but his heavenly father had a different business. And there's a point in John's gospel where Jesus names that heavenly father's business. There's only, of all of the different points where Jesus says, I am this, and I'm the bread of life, and uh, I'm the vine, there's one where he names a profession, where he says, I am the good shepherd. It's the one point where Jesus ascribes a profession to himself, and it was his father's business. So, The family business that God has is looking after people. Shepherds look after sheep, but what Jesus did was look after people. He tended people, fed people, healed people, guided people. That is God's family business. So if we follow Jesus, and if we're learning more about God the Father... There will come a day for every one of us when we will hear him saying, it's time to join the family business. Great that we've been friends for so long. Great that you're following me. But as you follow me, it's time to join the family business. There's stuff to do. For Peter, that moment came just before Jesus returned to heaven. Peter had gone back to his boats. He was a friend and follower of Jesus, but he was occupied with his old family business. Jesus met him, the resurrected Jesus, met him on the beach and said to him, Peter, feed my lambs, shepherd my lambs, Peter, he said, it's time for you to join the family business. You're my friend, you followed me, but you're family, and it's time to act like family. 
Our family business, Peter, is feeding people and guiding people. Will you join in? It's easy for us to find our identity in our gifts or our cultural heritage, our race, perhaps. It's easy to find our identity in our profession, if we have one. Maybe to find our identity in our roles within our family. But Jesus invites us to find our identity in our Heavenly Father instead. To bear the family name, which is Christian. And to let the family business be our concern, caring for people and leading them in good paths. As Bev read earlier from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He leads me beside still waters. He lays a table in the presence of my enemies. All of those blessings that the Lord provides as he is shepherd, we are invited to join in and to think of others in that way, to join the family business and to provide for others, seeing others' souls restored, accompanying them through the valley of the shadow of death, bringing them comfort and provision in the presence of their enemies. So there's my question. My third question Oh, which was, there we go, family business. Will you join the family business? So altogether, I've got three questions, and they all different expressions of this one headline thing. There's God, there's us. Are you ready to take another step? Are you ready to take, wherever you are this morning, whatever your current experience of God Are you ready to take another step, the next step towards him? For some, that will be about trusting him as a friend for the first time. If you've never known God as your friend, I hope I said it clearly enough earlier. You can be. It's really easy because he's done all the hard work. And all you need to say is yes. If you want to do that this morning, that will just be such a great thing. I mean, that would just be wonderful. And um, if you need to understand a little bit more before you can make that choice uh, clearly and confidently, then there are people around this morning that would love to talk with you, understand what your questions are, maybe be able to offer some answers, but help you in making that step this morning. Uh, for some of you, actually, you've been a friend with, of God's for some time, but you know he's knocking at the door And you're asking him certain things, and he's saying, no. He's got a different agenda to yours, and you're sensing that difference. You're sensing the fact that God doesn't seem to be quite as nice as he used to be. He used to be very straightforwardly your friend, and now he's letting you in on the fact that he's always had a different agenda that's far better than yours, but he's just starting to let on and invite you to follow him. And that may be something very specific. 
that makes that real for you this morning. There are others for whom this morning is all about joining the family business. That as I've said that, just some lights have come on for you there about where you're finding your identity and the fact that God wants to take things deeper still. This isn't, by the way, this isn't, this isn't like um, three stages of the Christian life. Can I work out now whether I'm a sort of beginner Christian or intermediate level Christian or expert Christian? That's not what I'm trying to communicate here. Because you know what? The world is full of pastors of churches who years ago took on joining the family business and have forgotten what it means to be a friend of God, and it's a tragedy. So maybe that, as I've said those things, you can go tick, tick, tick. Yes. But what's God saying to you this morning? Maybe you've been very busy for him, and he's saying, hello. We used to spend time together, and I liked it. God will keep talking to us about these three things all the days of our lives. My question is, what's he saying to you? And I think we should have a moment to be quiet so that you can ask him. And then we are going to break bread together.